This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined in the studio by Assemblymember Pamela Hunter, a Syracuse area Democrat who chairs the Chamber's Committee on Banks and recently co-chaired two very interesting financial hearings here in Albany. Welcome back to the show, Assemblymember. Thank you very much. So let's take these hearings in chronological order. So I guess we'll start by talking about cannabis banking, an issue that is rife with complications due to the federal government's positions on marijuana. So what are some of the most glaring problems that were highlighted during your recent hearing as it impacts our evolving marijuana marketplace? I would say one of the biggest glaring issues is the ability for people in the industry, whether it's a cultivator, whether it's somebody who wants to have a retail shop, or even someone who's compounding any aspect of the cannabis business, um, these organizations are boxed out of loans, checking accounts, and ability to basically do banking. Mm -hmm. And there are a few, some out-of-state banks that will take the risk of conducting business in this industry, knowing that it's federally illegal substance, Schedule One illegal drug. The issue is, and during this hearing, we had the folks from the Banking Association, we had the folks from the Credit Union Association, the fear of the the big man is coming, the fear of the federal government and the hammer is going to come down and say, you banks are, are, are providing services for something that we at the federal level are saying is illegal. But if you ask, which I did, to each one of those entities saying, which banks have had the heavy hammer of the federal government come down? None. One bank right. in Florida got a cease and desist order, and the main reason was because they weren't in compliance. There's a lot of compliance issues. There's these suspicious activity reports banks have to fill. Examiners have to go through every single transaction to make sure it's not for money laundering, sex trafficking, because when you're dealing with large quantities of cash, that's obviously a red flag. What's happening is folks in this space have these large sums of cash can't deposit it into the bank because it's cannabis banking. The bank is concerned with the federal government coming down and and saying, you're in trouble. We're going to give you a lot of fines. And so people are sitting on cash, literally cash. People are talking about carving out walls in their home because they can't put it in the bank. Well, you mentioned the concern about the federal government and the actual lack of action that the federal government has taken, though, for banks that are getting involved in this space. Are the concerns then overblown, or is it possible that the concerns are only overblown depending on who's in the White House? Could a different administration... No, no. No, you don't think so? Because we've had two different administrations, nor the Trump administration, and it was the Attorney General Sessions who actually um, paved the way to make it easier for banks to comply, and they didn't do it, and the Biden administration has not changed anything either. So essentially, for two administrations, neither hammer has come down from any one of their administrations to state-level operations for, for banking, for cannabis. And, you know, we knew this was going to be a problem when we passed 
past the murder, we knew that there were going to be challenges. Obviously, um, we've had the medical marijuana for a considerable amount of time. And it's not like they're in an easier position you know, than the, the recreational. But this is something that has to be taken care of because if you are a person in this space and you have a thriving business, you're in the position now to say, I can't get a loan to buy a house because my income right. is coming and where do I put these large sums of cash? The practical issues that are involving everyday business. You have a business, you have a bank account. Loan forms, is this a cannabis business? Yes, no, we can't. Or they're charging exorbitant fees for fear that if they do have cannabis banking, the federal government will come and give them lots of fines you know, for having uh, bank accounts for uh, a federally uh, illegal you know, substance. So there has to be a lot, a lot worked out. And I think that we can work it out with our banking partners. And if they can't get it done, we have to be creative with other banking solutions. We can't abandon these folks and these organizations who put trust in the state to say, we're going to create this new business enterprise, but not help you along the way to get there. Well, did you hear from any financial entities that did enter the cannabis banking space and get any sort of understanding about what it is that prompted them to, to do it? I'm assuming it's just the opportunity to make money. Yes. And Okay, so then if so, how, how do you recreate that? How do you make everyone just more interested in money than anything else? Well, it's not just money because obviously you're talking about now having more liquidity. You're having more cash mm-hmm. in your bank that you can use to make loans, right? And, and keep business keep business going. But it's also a personnel issue as well. When you have cannabis banking, there are lots of regulations because it still has to be reported to the federal government. So that means you're hiring more examiners, more people to have to look through every one of these suspicious activities, these deposits, making sure compliance is a huge issue. They have to do all of this compliance anyway. So you might have to hire a couple more people, but this is obviously one of the concerns that we're hearing too, that it's very labor intensive. Were there any states that you've heard about that have come up with a good answer to this, whether it's maybe the closed-loop cannabis system in Nevada or maybe something that Massachusetts is doing to our east? Has anybody figured this out yet? Not really. (laughs) They're all really in the same kind of situation, hoping that the federal government deregulates, you know, marijuana's class one. And if they did that, it would just open up the doors and it would be fine. Um, The president, you know, could move that through. I don't know if it would be able to get through the house now, but that definitely is something, if that happened, it would open everything up. You know, the Nevada model is very interesting. And I guess if you lived in Nevada, that might be helpful, you know, as a way of kind of like bartering with tokens or coins or whatnot. That's not something that we've talked about here in New York. I mean, we have cryptocurrency and these NFTs. We have all this other stuff going on. Right. We just need to keep keep at it. If if you could have heard the plea of the organization saying, I need help. You asked us to step up. I'm going to be a cultivator. You know, we have, you know, played by the rules all the way. And now we don't have any help on this other end, taking care of all of our banking needs. I've had people have their checking accounts closed at the bank. 
Earlier today, we spoke with the head of New York's Green Bank, which is responsible for investing in green energy projects, something that it does with, at least initially, state investments. Should we be seeing something like that in New York on a grander scale than the social equity fund, which has not really materialized in the way that people had hoped? There are a couple of different things. You know, we're talking about public banking. I don't know if that's the answer. But if traditional banks can't make it happen for this huge space, which has huge money potential, then we're going to have to look at something different. We could be looking at that. We could be looking at increasing the state different programs that they have to maybe help facilitate some of this banking ease that some of these organizations need. I don't think that there's anything that we should take off the table at this point, but whatever it is, it needs to be on the table and work through right now because we're several years in and there's many organizations that are just really clamoring for help. And with these new retail licenses opening up, this is just going to increase the amount of organizations that are going to be in the same position that these other organizations have been in for the last several years. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Assemblymember Pamela Hunter, a Syracuse Democrat who chairs the Chamber's Committee on Banks. for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org. For listeners just joining us, this is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're continuing our conversation with Assembly Banks Committee Chair Pamela Hunter, a Syracuse Democrat who recently led a hearing on cannabis banking. As we talk right now in the waning days of the legislative session, is there anything that you think makes sense for the legislature to do to help facilitate cannabis banking, or are you looking to the Hochul administration to take the lead on something like this? Well, we're having conversations, obviously, with OCM. Mm -hmm. There's not a specific piece of legislation other than, you know, New York public banking. But again, you know, that is not the panacea that we're, we're saying this will solve all of the ills. We're just trying to figure out what is a methodology that works. Maybe it needs to be some sort of state uh, partnership with a community bank or something that says, we got your back in case, you know, the federal government comes in. There has to be something uh, that helps because that heavy hand, I said, of the federal government, you know, with this uh, supposed hammer that could come but hasn't come really shouldn't be the basis for not doing business in the state of New York. Is it your impression that state chartered banks might have or feel like they have more leeway to get into this space than other banks? Yes and no. I think state chartered banks are more 
community focused. They're the ones that are giving more of the small business loans, giving more retail or or business, commercial, residential loans. These big, big banks aren't looking for the small, you know, time player. So if you could get a community bank, they can absolutely be a huge partner and probably should be a huge partner if we can't. Um, and we're worried about the federal government and a federal chartered bank being in that space and being worried, then let the state Department of Federal Financial Services have your back and let's, you know, move something through that way. You mentioned working with OCM, the Office of Cannabis Management, which is, you know, technically under the Hochul administration, but have you gotten any clear indications from the governor and her administration about what they want to see done on this issue or what they think makes sense? No. And why is that? Because this is politically controversial in some corners or because there just isn't a clear answer? I don't know about the political motivation. I mean, obviously, this has been legal for several years. Any political motivation or issue right now is relative to all these illegal pop-up shops. Mm -hmm. It's not relative to this legal business. I don't know if it's a high priority, but my priority, obviously, is the bank's chair, making sure that people have availability to be in the banking space. And we have to make a pathway forward, you know, for that to happen now. Well, finally, on the cannabis banking front, what is the cost of inaction? Well, you'll see constituents slash business owners either utilize outside banks and they're getting the money, right? They're getting all of the ways to give resources to people in this space. And New York banks should be taking care of that. We shouldn't be looking to other states' banks to do banking for New York because we can't get that done here. So that's something. And, you know, if people are in this space too long and are not getting any assistance, you know, not too many people, they think it's fun or funny. And maybe you see it on The Sopranos when they're, you know, hucking $10,000 chunks of cash in the, the grill out back. But really, that's not practical. And you can't live your life in that space. You have to be able to do banking. And the fear of having your accounts closed is real. It's been happening we think that we can just live in this cash society and that's not real. Most people are not going to be walking into a car dealership and say, here's a suitcase full of hundreds. You know, let me buy this car. It just doesn't work that way. So two weeks after the cannabis banking hearing, you held a hearing on cryptocurrency in New York State. What prompted that review? When I first took over the chairmanship of banking, there were several issues that rose to the top that we wanted to make sure that we got more information that were issues that really were constituent and just business issues. Uh, cannabis banking was one. Crypto was another. And, you know, having conversations about the unbanked, underbanked and this whole fintech space and everything. So this fits right in with, you know, what we had wanted to do as far as escalating the conversation on banking. And then here came Silicon Valley. And it just fit right in with what we wanted to do anyway, obviously not in a good way <laughs> because of what happened with that bank. It just all worked out perfectly. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand what cryptocurrency is. It's, <laughs> I, I would say maybe in, in some of our chamber, you know, we, we laugh about mining for, for coins. And it's not that long ago that people literally thought that it was like digging in the ground for coins. Mm -hmm. This is not what we're talking about. And I would say that there's probably a good chunk of folks out there who don't understand what this space is but it's here and it's not going away 
And it's something that we really need to make sure that people are protected. We saw what happened with FTX, that their coins weren't backed on anything. Basically, it was like a Ponzi scheme and people got taken for a lot of money. Uh, we've hired you know, people that they life savings into investment in cryptocurrency and any investment is risky. But we need to make sure that New Yorkers are protected based on what we're seeing out there. And that was part of the conversation. The triggering of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, because they had a lot of high-risk investments, and a lot of that is in crypto. Many banks don't even have investments with crypto. There's other bank issues going on. But it's a really volatile time right now in banking. We saw that and First Republic being taken over and what happened with Signature. Um, we just need to be mindful. People want to make sure the money in their bank account is safe, that if they go to the branch, the doors are going to be open and they're going to be able to get their money. You know, there's obviously fear of bank runs. We don't want that. Bank run is when all of a sudden people flock to the bank and want to take out right. you know, all their money. Oh, I've seen It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's real or perceived, people want their money and they want it to be protected. And so that was the premise of the conversation about cryptocurrency. And in hearing from whether it was Financial Services Superintendent Harris or the AG's office, does it seem like New York consumers who either engage in the crypto trading or uh, are involved with financial institutions that have some sort of stake in this, does it seem like those consumers are protected right now? Yes and no. Yes, because those organizations that have a license through the state of New York, a bit license from the state of New York, those businesses are regulated. They are looked at. There's compliance. You know, they make sure that they have the reserves to cover all of the investment. But a New Yorker can bank or do Bitcoin buying, selling, trading outside of the parameters of New York State. And that's what happened with FDX. FDX is not a regulated business in New York State. And so that there are definitely are concerns. And it's either people who are financially savvy, who are looking at crypto as a unique investment. You kind of have the people in the middle. Remember where crypto was supposed to be this kind of bartering money system that was not really going to be a regulated, you know, this is different than those Ithaca dollars that they mm -hmm. had down there. You know, this was something different. And now all of a sudden we're talking about multi-millions and billions of dollars. No amount of money like that is going to go unregulated by the federal government. <laughs> you know, right. we want to make sure that there's protections in place. And then you have a pool of people who are not financially investment savvy, who hear about the return of something. In some ways, it's almost too good to be true. And in some ways, it is too good to be true. And they're looking for a quick return on their investment. And that's why the consumer protection part was part of the hearing that we had is because really people are getting taken. And I've talked with people who said, I'm going to get involved with Bitcoin or I'm going to, you know, interested in this crypto space because they're trying to get a, a quick return. And usually that's preying on the people who least can afford um, being able to put up money to be able to lose it. That invested money that we're putting up you're investing it, there's risk. Right. 
are you assured that if you put up this thousand dollars that you can afford to lose the thousand dollars and the promise of some you know high returns yes some people have received that and that's great but there's a whole bunch of other people who have not on the other side of that consumer protection coin though did you also hear from industry players probably mostly that the state is stifling opportunities for investments as well yes yes and and, you know you're talking about good players good actors that you know they're looking at blockchain technology and the way this is moving is going to be an evolution and they don't want it to be stifled by over regulation from New York State or you know basically any regulator they're coming up with innovative ideas innovative ways to you know market oneself and move money and 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 move things forward and we shouldn't be in the business of stifling business partnering with them to make sure that they're good they're taken care of and making sure that they're taking care of New Yorkers and not preying on them and we did hear this and in some of their concern was about enforcement mm-hmm. a lot of that you know has to do with attorney general's office and the superintendent's office as well and as, as they're fighting over who's going to be in charge of compliance and enforcing and and being the heavy these organizations are just, we just want to do business. And it's taking a considerable amount of time, especially for those in the crypto space, to be able to get a bit licensed to even can start conducting business in New York. Well, finally, is there anything that you think needs to be done legislatively in the crypto space? Is there anything, for example, that you're carrying or that you want to see move through the Banks Committee this year or, or in 2024? There's several members who are very interested in this. and um, Clive Vanell jumps yes. right to the, yes. the front. He, he, and, you know, and he is a crypto investor. You know, obviously, he's very financially savvy. He's worked with DFS. I, he chairs the subcommittee on, you know, crypto, which is which is awesome. But there's other, you know, members as well. There is, um, <laughs> we, we submitted last year and it was vetoed and we going back around again. But it is very important to have, I'm not saying just a study, a really an assessment, whether it's this task force or commission to figure out what is going on in a Broadway. Sometimes I don't like them because it takes too long for commissions to get together. It takes too long, you know, for the studies to happen. And this is the emerging, evolving, like fast moving business. So where we could be on to kind of like something else in this space before even, you know, the task force gets started and the commission. But I do think it's important that we have something like that because this business is just so complex just leaving it up to, and I'm not disparaging the regulators in any way, but I've had people call my office and say, should I go get my money out of the bank? These are the kinds of things that we want to make sure you know people are, are protected about. So that's a piece of legislation um, that's important. You know, we allocated, I think it was like $15 million to DFS for them to hire more people at um, DFS in the crypto space specifically um, because we need to make sure that there's security in place, that they're monitoring and compliance. If, if, if you heard some of the things that we talked about where really there's some bad dudes out there. Like there's bad folks out there who are using crypto to sex traffic, money laundering, fentanyl from China that's legal, being able to use crypto to buy that. That's bad. We don't want that here. And there is ways to track it, but some of that is very difficult and you need people in place to be able to track all of these transactions. 
they say they're able to be monitored, but you need security, firewalls, you know, just logistical people who are monitoring to make sure what's supposed to be happening with the money is legal. Well, we've been speaking with Assembly Banks Committee Chair Pamela Hunter. She is a Syracuse Democrat. Assemblymember, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so very much. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.